Welcome to Inside the Draft, a weekly preview of the upcoming NFL Draft with insiders from around the country. It's draft week. It's finally here, and this is our final installment of Inside the Draft, leading you up to Thursday night with the first round. We've been doing this once a week since mid-February. Can't believe it's finally here. I'm Matt Taylor, joined by Casey Vallier, and joining us today on the Horn to talk draft, the Colts, wide receivers, tackles, and other possible draft choices is Ian Cummings, NFL Draft Analyst at ProFootballNetwork.com. Ian, thanks for the time, man. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. You know, it's the home stretch, and, you know, ideally, and most of our grades are finalized at this point, so a lot of the top players, you know, like we've watched all these guys. Now it's just kind of, you know, finalizing that, you know, making sure that we're ready for right. ready, ready to roll when the draft comes around, and obviously – there's so much ground to cover, especially this year with the COVID year. A lot of prospects stayed for an extra year, so it's kind of a bigger cl- class. So diving into some FCS guys, just kind of using as much time as you can and making the most of the time that you have. So it's a fun time, and I'm happy to be on. Absolutely. Ian, with, with you specifically, I mean, the, the tape speaks for itself, right? The eye in the sky, it, it does not lie when it comes to uh, draft prospects and potential and how they translate to the NFL. But with you specifically, how much – fluctuation can guys move up and down your draft board if you will based on combine times and pro day workouts and things like that that have happened between the end of the college football season and the draft this weekend yes so it's a good question and it's something that I've grappled with in the past and even this cycle Uh, me personally I try to stay you know you want to be flexible obviously I don't use the combine times in my grades what I do is you know you have a you get a pretty good impression of a player's, you know, athletic ability on tape. So a lot of times the NFL combine and pro days, it's not necessarily for gauging their athleticism, but, you know, providing a reference to, to back up. Right. So usually you're not going to get a ton of surprises like Trayvon Walker. We knew he was going to be a freak. David Ajabo, we knew he was going to freak, you know, just providing some examples, but then there's guys that, you know, maybe test a little bit better or worse than you expected. That's not necessarily going to change your opinion of them as a player, because I do think, that uh, some players show more burst on tape than they test with potentially. So it's never something that you want to just go with on the service level. What you want to do is use it as a reference and then circle back to the tape and say, you know, did I overestimate this guy's burst or did I overestimate his agility? You know, so it's a reference that allows you to kind of reevaluate your perspective. It's not something that you run with 100%, but, you know, all information in the draft process is valuable information. So it's something to take into account. You go back and look, and usually, usually, if you watch the tape, and you know, usually, if you're in a good frame of mind, if you're getting good stuff from it, you can have a good idea, a good impression of how guys are going to test. So there's usually not a ton of surprises, but it's it's a very good reference to have. Have you experienced? I mean, as you do your own mock draft and compare your work to other mock drafts and uh, evaluate the off-season uh, draft process, if you will. Are you noticing like guys moving up other people's boards and you're just like, how, why? You know, this, this guy's not the 10th pick in the draft. This guy's not going to go in the first round. Do you have examples of this happening, and is it, is it hard to understand? It's uh, Yes, yeah, so I do have examples. Usually it's, it's easy to understand because the, the draft – I mean, I guess it's hard and easy. Like, it's hard for you if you're lower on a guy. Like, you don't see it potentially. Mm-hmm. But I do see a lot of times there's there are avenues for players to be, you know, higher on other people's boards. Like, Trevor Penning is one that I'll throw out there. Obviously, an elite athletic tester. On tape, the nasty mentality is very much there. He's uber-physical, and I love that part of his game. For me, though, you know, we're hearing top 15, maybe top 12 for him. 
that's a little too high for me. You know, he's not even a first-round grade prospect for me. You know, I look at the technical area of his game. The pad level is high a lot. Stops moving his feet. You know, a lot of times makes reps look better with that physicality at the end. But, you know, I think there's an avenue in the NFL where edge rushers can easily get under him, easily get around him, and kind of exploit him opening his hands as well. So a lot of technical refinement is needed there. But I can understand why, you know, NFL teams and evaluators would be high on him because he's an athletic freak, because he's super physical, very strong, very powerful. Uh, Tyler Smith from Tulsa is another one. I'm a big fan of his upside, but we're seeing round one talk now, and that's a little too high for me. So it's it's never, you know, rarely are you going to get completely blindsided by a prospect going high, but there are, you know, there is a lot of wiggle room. There's a lot of subjectivity in the process. People view prospects differently, and it's just it's a matter of, you know, how do you evaluate, how are you comfortable, you know, what lens do you see them through? So it's not something that surprises me. You know, there are prospects that are a little bit higher on the board uh, that I wouldn't feel comfortable taking, like, you know, both Trayvon Walker and Aiden Hutchinson yeah, yeah. kind of in that in that right. number one conversation. Me, personally, I wouldn't take either one number one overall. Oh, I think good yeah. There we go. But, Lay the hammer, Ian. Let's, but, let's hear it. Exactly. Hey, you know, I, and this, is a, this has been a cycle for me where, you know, a lot of times, especially as a young evaluator in past cycles, sometimes yeah. you kind of just roll with the consensus. But this time, you know, I think the, the biggest roadblock for growth for a lot of evaluators is not just trusting what you see. You know, because if you're right, you keep doing what you're doing. If you're wrong, that's fine. You learn from it and you implement that in your process moving forward. So, you know, looking at what I see from these guys, I don't think either one's worth the number one overall pick. But again, I can see why people would be higher on them. Because again, with Hutchinson, you got that all-out motor. You know, he's going 110% on every down. And then with Walker, the elite athletic upside, where if he does reach his potential, then he is worth that. I don't think, I think he's got a long way to go, a very long way to go right now. But you can see why people would feel that way. Who's your, feel differently, but you can at least see it. Who's your number one then? My number one is, that's a, that's a that's an interesting topic, man. I got a few players <laughs> up there. Uh, Kyle Hamilton is up there. He's not uh-huh. quite my number one right now. Uh, Andrew Booth from Clemson. I know the injuries have been a, a particular concern for him. Obviously, was rarely you know fully healthy at his college career. Had the uh, tweaked hamstring before the NFL Combine and the hernia surgery. Uh, but he's supposed to be ready for uh, the uh, training camp. But Andrew Booth's tape, uh, Clemson corner for me was very good. Uh, I-, I thought that you know he's got the upside for sure, and I think that's one of the top selling points for a lot of people. But I look at the foot speed in his game, the corrective twitch that he moves with. You know, a lot of times with corners, you know, it's not just the physicality to jam. It's not just the plays that you make on the ball. It's just matching a guy with your footwork, with your technique and sticking to them. And to me, Andrew Booth is very good at that. One of the best in his class is that using that fast feet, that corrective twitch, the hip fluidity to stick with his man. He's got a long frame. He's very physical. He's elite in run support uh, coming downhill and, you know, engaging blocks. And then at the catch point as well. I mean, we've seen that acrobatic ability. He can rise vertically. He can contort. He can track the ball, make those plays. So to me, Andrew Booth is is definitely up there. And then another guy who isn't really viewed in that range for a lot of people, but for me he is, is uh, Georgia safety Lewis Seen. I am a big fan of his game. Um, I think that he's one of the more underrated prospects in this class. Um, he's, you know, a lot of times people look at the, the hard hits that he levies coming downhill. He's one of those those safeties who's you know he's a very willing enforcer he's physical coming downhill but at the same time you know I think you look at with safeties a lot of the more impressive reps sometimes are when you're not getting thrown at when you're you know kind of discouraging targets with your positioning downfield right and I see Lewis Seen he's 6'2 199 32 and a half inch arms so he's got a long frame he's not a small guy 
every safety looks small compared to Kyle Hamilton, you know. But Lewis Seen actually has very good size for the safety position, and then he moves incredibly well. He ran in the four threes uh, in his 40-yard dash, had, you know, elite explosiveness numbers, which that checks out on tape. And that's one of those, those, those things where, you know, you see it on tape, and then the testing numbers reflect that. But he is an effortless mover on the back end, very explosive, very twitchy. But then the hip fluidity, too. He flips his hips, and he can carry that acceleration, you know, effortlessly, you know, very seamless transitions in open field. So I would trust him to run with a wide receiver in open field, but I'd also trust him come downhill and closing ground very quickly. Uh, he's very instinctive, processes extremely well. The ball skills is the thing that I would want him to improve. He's still kind of working on, you know, when to get his head around, how to track the ball in midair. But he has the physicality. And he has, you know, the positioning, the, the elite athleticism in the short range and the explosiveness to close very quickly. So Lewis seen for me, he's that enforcer. You can put him in the big slot. You can put him at two high. He's got the range for single high. To me, he's, you know, arguably, I think the gap between Hamilton and the rest of the guys is not very big at all. And that's not a slight to Hamilton. This is just a very good safety class, and Lewis Seen is right there for me. Now, do, do you think that the NFL falls into that trap of, you know, the, the top overall pick has to be, you know, impact player at either quarterback, defensive end, tackle. You just mentioned two safeties in a corner, and that's rare to see one of those guys taken number one overall. Do you think the NFL just kind of falls into that trap of, well, you have to take this position at that spot? Yeah, I think that could be it. Me personally, I look at, you know, every position is important to completing the puzzle, right? But I do think that there are certain positions that are a little more important to me in the modern NFL. I think the ones that you look to first are the ones that directly impact the pass. So, I mean, quarterback, obviously, because you're passing the football, right? Like, if there's a blue-chip quarterback, then you take them if you need it. Obviously, this class, that's been an interesting discussion. But, you know, beyond that, you know, offensive tackle, protecting the QB, cornerback, covering those wide receivers and forcing the QB to hang onto the ball uh, for longer, the edge rusher, pressuring that quarterback, getting around the tackles, right? So it's, it's all about impacting the pass, impacting the quarterback, and restricting that offense. Or if you're on offense, allowing you to work with more freedom, so I think that, you know, impact of the pass and that kind of falls to the edge rushers, the tackles. We see those premier positions taken a lot in the early stages of the first round. And, you know, you can look to contract info too, which positions yeah. are commanding the most money, because maybe that's the one where you want to lock up that blue chip talent early on that rookie deal and then get him in your, you know, in your organization so you can maybe keep him around right. if he turns out to be that guy. You know, there's a lot of factors to take into account, but I also think with the NFL, you've got old school evaluators. If there's a guy like in Aiden Hutchinson who has that lunch pail mentality, all right, where he's coming at you with 110%, he's got grit, he's got that motor, right? All the, you know, all the stereotypical things, but, you know, he does have that. Like, there's a guy, if you're, if you want a guy who's got that high floor, who you're not going to have to worry about giving effort, then that, if he has the athletic traits, which we saw how he tested, I'm of the belief that his functional athleticism on tape, doesn't quite match the athleticism he tested with but as long as he tested with those numbers we know mm -hmm. the teams do have thresholds for that and if players pass that threshold they're going to be comfortable taking them so i think you look at that you know the, there's the positional value but also you know if they have those qualities where that would win over you know old school football evaluators that can play a factor in it too all right ian let's talk about the colts um they are on the look for potentially wide receivers tight ends and tackles uh this week in the draft among other positions they sit at 42 no first round pick hypothetically what's a better play in your opinion if both players have similar evaluations according to the colts which card do you pull on draft night do you pull a tackle or a wide receiver based on where the colts are you know, that's an interesting question because I think for the Colts, 
here's the thing for me. The the I the first thing that I factor in for this tackle versus receiver is the depth of the class at each position. I think at offensive tackle, you're looking at not nearly as much depth as you are at wide receiver. So if I'm the Colts, the first thing I'm looking at is is there a guy at forty two that is still there that's you know, the value proposition is worth picking because if not, if you decide to wait until seventy three then all the tackles that might be able to mm-hmm. start on day one might be gone at that point. I think it's it's a lot more barren of a position. And that's not to say that there's, you know, developmental talent, right? But the wide receiver group in this class, I think it's so much deeper. I think you can get a day one contributor at that 73rd pick if you really wanted to. So the first thing I'm looking at for the Colts at 42 is tackle, you know, because I want to make sure is there a guy that can start right away. And even there, like, I don't think I wouldn't be 100% comfortable with the guys that you're getting there starting right away, I think. To me personally, looking at this class, you got Evan Neal, right? He's my OT1. You got Ikem Ikwanu. You've got Charles Cross, all very good prospects. And I think it dips after that. Trevor Penning, you know, has that starting upside. But again, there are some technical refinements to undergo. Tyler Smith, kind of the same deal, right? And then you've got guys like Bernard Raymond, which, you know, I'm a big fan of the athletic upside too. But he's going to be 25 years old. He's still got to work on his hands a little bit, right? So, there's not really a guy that I'm head over heels for in that range. But again, you know, if you wait even further, you might lose your chance to get them too. So I think the first thing I'm looking for at at 42 for the Colts is Tower Smith or Bernard Raymond is there. You know, I'd maybe consider taking one of them. And not because I, I don't love them, but I do know, you know, if I wait until 73, then maybe you're stuck with guys like Nicholas Petit Frere, Ohio State, who, you know, he has upside too. But again, very much a work in progress with his technique. It just kind of the depth keeps dwindling as you go further down. So for me right now, I'm looking at, you know, hoping that maybe Tower Smith drops, right? Because as much as he does have a lot of things to work on, he's a he's a stellar athlete. He's incredibly physical. He's very strong, very powerful. There's tools to work with with him more so than if you wait to 73. And I think ultimately at 73, you can still get a very good wide receiver. This, this wide receiver class, like I've got a top 20 and I, I've got like over, you know, probably almost two dozen guys that I would take on day two. You know, it's a very wow. deep, very strong wide receiver class. So I think you, you take advantage of that and look at the position that doesn't have as much depth at 43 or 42 and hope you can get a guy. There. You said two dozen receivers that are worth <laughs> either a second or a third round uh, selection on. Yeah, maybe a little less than two dozen, but I'm a I'm a very wow. big fan of this wide receiver class. Uh, there's a lot of guys, a lot of different molds too. You know, I think that yeah. the the talent that's there, there's size guys. If you want size, there's speed. You know, there's guys who can route run, can separate right. So a lot of different molds, a lot of different you know nuances too. Uh, but I'm a big fan of what the class has to offer overall. And I know, I know the Colts especially. You know, they kind of favor those size guys who are over 200 pounds. You know, kind of have that size to hold up in the middle of the field. Some versatility if you're looking for it. There's a lot there. There's a lot that this class has to offer. And, you know, I think if you're the Colts, it's a really good opportunity to add a weapon and get that value. There's a couple guys from Alabama who are pretty top-tier wide receivers, both coming off ACLs in John Minchie and Jamison Williams. How much do you see that impacting their draft status? And and with that being said, the Colts being at 42, is there a chance that one of those guys fall that, you know, probably if they were healthy, they're they're a a top-20 pick. Is, Is there a possibility that happens? Yeah, I think with Jamison, probably not going to happen. I think we've been what we've been hearing from Jamison is that he's going to be a round one pick anyway. And you know, you look at the the game breaking speed that he has; it's no surprise. I mean, this guy would have run a four three if he was going to if he you know was healthy enough to run that that forty at the combine. But even you know the forty yard dash, we talk about testing numbers, right? You know, even that doesn't always encapsulate the the impact that a player can right. have with his speed. Like we look at Jamison Williams, his it's not just his speed; it's you know the explosiveness that he has. It's how much 
you know, ground he covers which with each stride. He's a long strider. He's almost six two, so he's not just a speedy guy. You know, he's a guy who the moment he opens his gate, like he is gone. You know, like that's just how it is with him. He destroys tackling angles in space. You know, he can stack defenders very easily. That elite deep threat, but at the same time, too, you know, you look at what are the components that you look for for route running development, right? Hip sync, syncing those hips on your transitions. Uh, the ability to to stop very quickly, decelerate very quickly, using throttle control on you know stop and goes and other routes. He's shown he can do all that as well. So I think with Jameson Williams, you're not just looking at a pure speed guy. You're looking at a player with his length as well. His body control instincts can potentially be a complete wide receiver on top of that that speed. So you know me personally, as as much as the ACL factors in, he's such a dynamic player. You know beyond that, that I do think he's gonna go, gonna go round one either way. And if he slips to round two, like Theoretically, again, I think the chance is very low. But were he to, I think you'd have a frenzy of teams trying to trade up to right. 33 to get him because he's that talented. So I don't see him being an option for the Colts. John Mechie, I think, could very well be there. I think even if he hadn't been injured, to me, he's more of that you know mid second, late second okay. you know pick. I, I do think he's a very solid player. I think particularly in the slot, I and mean, you can move him around a little bit. I think he's pretty versatile with his releases. But he's just kind of an all-around solid receiver. He's very twitchy with his routes. You know, he's very good at generating displacement, you know, with that lateral moves. And then at the same time, he's got pretty good hands. I'd like him to shore up his hand technique a little bit. But again, he's a player who can track the ball, can, you know, contort, can, and he's got very good zone awareness too, can sneak into those open zones, get open. He's got a good feel and space. So I think Mechie, you know, not quite the upside that Williams has, but especially for the Colts, if you're looking for a guy who can compliment Michael Pittman Jr., yeah. you know, I think that's a guy who allows you to do that, gives some contrasting skill sets on the field. Ian, we talked a lot about wide receivers. I want to double back to tackles. I'm going to give you a handful of tackles that I've seen um, in, in mock drafts, including your own, tackles that are projected to go late first round to middle second round, generally speaking, right? Here are the, here are the guys that I've jotted down. Tyler Smith out of Tulsa, Bernard Raymond out of Central Michigan, Daniel Falalele out of Minnesota, Nick Pettit. Freary, Freary out of Ohio State. I don't know if I'm getting that name right. Maybe you can correct me on that. Uh, Rashid Walker out of Penn State and Abraham Lucas out of Washington State. Um, of those guys, which do you like the best and which do you think is most likely to be there around 42 to give the Colts something to think about? Yeah, so the one that I like the best of that group is Tyler Smith. And it's a caveat here. He's going to need some time to refine his game for sure. Uh, I think all these guys, you know, again, as I mentioned earlier, I don't think I'm not super comfortable with any of them starting right away. The depth of the class kind of falls off after the first three. But with Tyler Smith, you're really shooting for the stars with that because looking at him on tape at Tulsa, uh, he is very physical. He is, you know, he's got that nasty mentality to him. He's a natural left tackle, so you can fit him in right there. It's not, you know, he's not a natural right tackle, so you might have to transition him around. You can move him right to left tackle at day one opposite Braden Smith and be set. You know, but I do think there's some room for refinement with the hand usage, with the um, you know, the, the the synergy between his upper and lower body. There's times where he strikes before his base is set, and that can cause him to lurch, lose his balance. But at the same time, he's got great knee bend for his size. He's not bending at the waist. He's very flexible, very fluid as a mover. Uh, he can flip his hips and redirect his momentum. Explosive off the snap. You know, very good lateral mover as well. Can match guys around the edge. And then, you know, if you can refine and channel his hand usage, the guy is physical. I mean, he is violent with his hands, with his strikes. So I I love the upside there. And I think at that point, because you're not getting a a super high floor with anyone, I think you have to shoot for the stars and go with Tyler Smith if he's there. So that would be my preference. I think that, you know, who's the most likely to be there? 
probably, you know, you're probably looking at guys like Nicholas Petit-Frere, maybe Bernard Raymond, although there's some talk that maybe he could be a fringe first-round pick. That's way too rich for me. But, you know, it, sometimes teams get, get win over by guys. That's just how it is. Sometimes they fall in love and they take a guy earlier than you expect, right? So I'd say maybe Abraham Lucas. Daniel Falele, I don't love the fit there. He's more of a pure power guy. I don't love the lateral mobility from him. He's also very tall, right? So he plays with a high pad level a lot. So if you're an NFL edge rusher, it's not that hard to get under him, get under his pads, and kind of control the rep from there. But lately, I think, you know, he's also a right tackle, right? So I think move, putting him at right tackle, you know, they've already got Braden Smith there. So not a, not a perfect fit. I'll probably go with, you know, maybe Nicholas Petit-Frere. Although, again, that's way too rich for me, again. So I think if Tyler Smith isn't there, then you're either looking at a major reach at 42, so you might want to wait until 73, but then guys might be off the board there. So maybe a trade back is possible, right? I think – it's just that's not the best range in this class for an offensive tackle because a lot of these guys are probably more third-round values that you might have to take in round two. If Tyler Smith is there, get him because he's a guy who has the upside to potentially go round one. So if he's there, that's a good value deal. But again, even then, not a super high floor. You're still working with some projection, unfortunately. But yeah, I think the, the group that you mentioned is probably the group that you're working with. Abraham Lucas is another natural right tackle. Again, he played right tackle at Washington State. So you'd have to move him over if you're going to get him in there. And we've seen in the past, like, it's something that can be done, right? But, you know, it's not a transition. If you're the Colts, you know, you've got Matt Ryan, you're kind of looking to compete right now. I'd rather get a guy who at least is, you know, has a natural feel at left tackle. So I don't need to develop that on top of the, the hand usage, the synergy, other elements like that. Now, final thing on tackle, you, you talk about, you know, at 42, you probably want a guy you can plug in right now. But let's say let's move into, you know, day three. You've highlighted Devin Cochran out of Georgia Tech with a lot of upside. What is a guy like him? Where do you see his availability to get on the field if, if they do that? You know, let's say day three, a guy like that who's got, you know, upside the size at tackle but just needs development. Where do you see him? Like, is it a two-year, three-year project? Yeah, I'd say probably, you know, multiple years. I can't, you know, it's it's tough to figure out with a lot of guys because on the outside, there's only so much information we have. You know, obviously with development, a very key thing is information retainment, you know, from coaching. And that's something that, you know, as much as you want to gouge that as an evaluator, it's not something we can get a you know an accurate pulse on all the time. If I had to guess, I'd say, you know, probably one or two years before he's getting, you know, that starting experience. I think he's a little over relying on those two hand punches right now. I'd want to see more independent hands from him. But again, you look at the upside. I mean, six seven, three oh six, thirty five and three eight arms, so a very, very long frame, which you can use to get a lever on guys very quickly. Uh he's got a five ten forty, which the forty yard dash again, not super indicative for offensive tackles, but it at least shows your athleticism, yeah. how you can move in space, right? And then on top of that as well, 30-inch vertical, 9-4 uh, broad, so really good short-range burst as well. So I think you're looking at, you know, the biggest things that you got to work with, with with Cochran is improving the footwork. I think the pad level can be high too, which when a guy is 6'7", that's, that's a common problem. A lot of offensive tackles have that. You've got to work on that because I don't think, you know, I think he has good knee bend. Sometimes bends the waist a little bit, right? So I'd want to clean that up and make sure he's not lurching. But, you know, again, it's the tools to work with if you can get that in. I think it's going to be a multi-year project either way. I'd probably want to try and get a veteran tackle that's on the market gotcha. to kind of provide that buffer. But, you know, again, there's talent to mold. And I'll, I'll throw out a, a few other names as well in this class. I think, you know, uh, Zach Tom is a guy who could be one. Again, he's a little bit smaller. He doesn't have a great power element to his game. But he's athletic, very flexible. He's pretty versatile, too. He's got independent hands. He's a guy that might be able to start a little bit earlier, although you're not working with as much upside. He's still got a good ceiling, I think, but not quite that longer, powerful guy 
more of that just guy who can kind of hold down the fort. Matt Wildesco from uh, South or North Dakota is another guy who's got a very long frame. He's a natural left tackle. Again, probably going to have to adjust a little bit because he is over a line on those two-hand extensions. But at the Senior Bowl, that was a big milestone for him coming in and proving that he belonged against FBS competition. He definitely did that. So athleticism, length, what let's go is another guy who provides that. There's a lot of guys on day three. If you're looking for that uh, as, as you know, developmental tackle talent for the Colts, you'd like to have someone to start right away. But at 42, at 73, you're not in the best spot to get that. So you might have to defer to a day three guy. It just depends on how the board falls. Uh, we'll see. But there are options there for sure. All right, last one from me, Ian, and you've been so gracious with your time, so we really appreciate it. I want to go inside the division, talk about the Houston Texans, because for the first time since 2019, they actually have a first-round pick. In fact, they have two. They sit at number three and number 13 after they traded Deshaun Watson uh, to the Cleveland Browns last month. Um, They're obviously in the process of rebuilding their roster. Uh, The Texans actually have 11 picks in the draft, including five in the top 80. Um, What do you see for the Houston Texans in terms of need? What do you think they do? And how much better can they uh, become here late in the month of April and early May? Yeah, so the Texans are an interesting team in that I still they've made a few additions, but again, I still think they're in that phase where you can pretty much go BPA, right? You know, I don't think there's anything restricting them from taking, you know, someone who's not BPA, right? I think there's a lot of needs still on the roster. And we've seen, you know, over the long term getting that BPA because needs are shifting every year. Guys are always getting filtered in and out. It's always a I think a better strategy to just take the top overall talent, right? So with the Texans, I could see a number of different scenarios at number three overall. I think you get Evan Neal as that right tackle if you really want to, move Titus Howard inside. Uh, but I think you could, you could go edge, too. I mean, it depends on how they value the top guys. And if one of Hutchinson or Trayvon Walker falls, that, that would probably be the pick, I'd have to say, because those are kind of the guys that we've been seeing at one and two, right? So if the Texans, if one drops to three, maybe if you're, the, if you're the Texans, you're thinking that's great value. Again, as I mentioned earlier, I wouldn't take either guy number one overall, but it seems to be a done deal that they're going to go in the top five. Kayvon Thibodeau, potentially, right? And if he falls to you know 13 as well. you know We've been hearing that he might fall. Some teams may be you know, unsure of his character. Me personally, that's another thing. I don't like to you know say anything definitive about that because I haven't met the guy in person. I can't speak to that. What I can speak to is the upside on the, on the film, the explosiveness, the length, the power capacity. So if he falls to 13 or, you know, if the Texans feel comfortable with his character, he could be the pick at either of those spots, right? So I think uh-huh. with the Texans, you're probably looking at one of those premier positions with one of those picks as your tackle because I think that's where the value is on the board. Uh, but then I could see corner as well. I think they could use a corner. I could see wide receiver, maybe Drake London at 13, if you like him, getting that size in that room. Uh, I, I'd, I'd like to think probably those positions, like we said earlier, that impact the pass. And I think with the Texans – it is a very good opportunity to, you know, invest in those positions early on, especially on the offensive side of the ball. One reason that I've kind of leaned Evan Neal for them is you got Davis Mills, right? And you're giving him a chance to become that guy. We don't know if he's going to be the guy, but if you're going to give him that chance, you need to invest in him and make sure that you support him as much as you can. And in this class, with the way the tackle position drops off after the first three, I would love to get Evan Neal at that right tackle spot alongside Laramie Tunsil. You know, that gives you some flexibility and a top-end talent at right tackle. And then maybe get a wide receiver at 13. We could see them double down on offense and then take an edge rusher later on because the depth of edge rusher is very strong in this draft as well. Bottom line, the Texans have flexibility. That's something they haven't had for a while. And it's it comes at a good time because you are trying to take the next step with Davis Mills and see if you can kind of buoy that offensive transition. So 
there's a lot of flexibility. That's what I would say what they're going to do there. Uh, and I do think that having the, the extra picks in this class, like you said, 11 picks, yeah. very valuable. Like at 37, 68, 80, you know, I, for me personally, I think one of the strongest ranges in this draft, you know, maybe not at tackle, but at other positions is, you know, in that day two range, right? So having multiple picks in that range, again, very valuable. You can kind of compound the growth that you get with two first round picks. So they're in a good situation. Can they make the most of it? The Texans haven't really proven that they can do that in the past. We'll yeah. see if they can ride the ship this year. <laughs> well, they've got the draft capital to do it. they got a lot of uh, darts of the dartboard, that's for sure. That's Ian Cummings, NFL draft analyst at the Pro Football Network, profootballnetwork.com. Ian, thanks a ton for the time, man. You know your stuff. Where can uh, people check out your work, and what do you have planned for draft weekend in terms of the coverage? Yes, you can find me at Pro Football Network. It's at PFN365 on Twitter. Myself on Twitter at Ian underscore Cummings underscore nine. I might change that in the future. I know I've, I've getting I've been kind of you know <laughs> some guys at PFN are saying you got a long handle. You got to you got to shorten that a little bit. But, yeah, uh, that's what it is for now. At Ian underscore Cummings underscore nine. If anyone has any questions about draft stuff, feel free to hit me up there. Right. Right now, what it is is just you know updating scouting reports, final updates. Like I said, for the most part, we're kind of finalized there. We're just really talking about these guys. Mm-hmm. But there's always more ground to cover, especially with SCS. So I'm trying to dig in a little bit more there with the remaining days that we have. Uh, I've got a new grading system that I'm working on this, this offseason, too. So still kind of grading guys, kind of inputting numbers and seeing what comes out there. Uh, but, yeah, it's a, it's a fun time. Just kind of wrapping things up, putting the bow on it, and uh, ready for the uh, NFL draft to start, man. I can't wait to see what happens. Right. Yeah, exactly. You, uh, I, th- I think I agree with you a little bit. Not that I'm a, uh, a Twitter savant, and I think Casey will uh, agree with me on that, but at Ian underscore Cummings underscore Nine. Yeah, you might want to change that to just at draft guru or at at, <laughs> at draft know it all. Is think that available? We'd... <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to check. I'll check the list. Yeah, for sure. Awesome stuff. Ian, thanks so much for the time, man. Continue success and uh, enjoy the draft weekend. Yes, sir. You as well. Thank you for having me.